Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on Shame on you. It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, hosted by Ben Kissel. Boom, we can't get fooled again. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. This is the special edition of Sweaty Nixon. Today, I, I debate and moderate my own debate with a guy named Scott Griper, Marcus. Griper? Scott Griper. He's the president and founder of Viridian Capital and Research, a New York-based financial and strategic advisory firm dedicated to backing and building the market leaders in, emerges, in emerging cannabis sectors. They're making a bunch of money off of weed. Nice. All right, so give this episode a listen. I think you guys will enjoy it. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host, Mr. Ben. To Sweaty Nixon. Today's episode is all about weed legalization and how we're be, may, be, some, what? Some people are making some major money off of it. This is like the week of weed for me. Um, I did a weed rally on Saturday, and I thought I was going to be like Mr. Politician, but then I just ended up talking about how I want to be a Pomeranian. Um, so that was good because I want my belly rubbed. All right. The guest today, we don't have two guests, we just have one, so this is going to be uh, very exciting. Uh, he's the president and founder of Viridian Capital and Research. They're making a bunch of money off of legalized marijuana. And uh, let's just bring him to the stage. Everybody welcome Scott Griper. Take a seat, or you can, st- should we stand? No. Okay, let's set. That's exciting. Thanks for being here, Scott. Thank you very much. You're rich. You're rich off weed. Is marijuana I'm first? I'm rich off weed. I'm fighting the social fight mm-hmm. for weed. That's great. Thank you. That's an- <laughs> and, and trying to get rich off it at the same time, but in yeah. that order. In that order. Right, 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 right. What, did, uh, what brought you into the weed business? What got you into investing in legal marijuana? I'm uh, just being a pothead for most of my career and trying to now commercialize and make money off of it. That's great. And is, uh, Mary, can you hear him in the microphone? I say, Scott, grab that microphone. Put that right there. Per- Scott Griper, everybody. He's on fire. He's on fire. So uh, Viridian Capital, weed is up 35% in 2014. I did some research. You guys have made $400 million off of it. Am I, am I right? 398 Please don't exaggerate. The tax man lie. might be watching. I ain't going to lie about it. So you're making a lot of money. There's 800,000 people in prison right now for weed offenses. Uh, how do you rationalize that in your head, that you're making a bunch of cash off of a drug that also has uh, nearly a million people in prison just because they used it all? Also. It's a very heavy question after that whole kind of light-hearted intro, don't you think? I love it! Wow. 
I'm sorry, what was the question? <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, I mean, how do you rationalize making so much money um, when there's a lot of people in prison the way, over the same in, thing? In fact, I'm investing in my business right now. I'm actually not making money from it, but it okay. is such a extraordinary opportunity from so many different perspectives. Right. From the social movement that's taken decades to get here, and almost overnight it's half of the country has voted to legalize it. Right. And what we do in helping companies grow and <clears throat> improve their ability to manage their growth and raise money and become a real business. Right. So we're actually not making money off of it yet. We're investing it and trying to be a player and trying to help the cause. What have been some of the challenges when it comes to getting, I guess at some point within two years ago, these people in Colorado were just illegal drug dealers, right? And now they're, uh, they are bona fide business individuals. What's been some of the challenges of transitioning them out of the underbelly of society into the, um, the legal uh, you know, business. I didn't realize I was going to be on the Andy Griffith, Griffith show, but I'll try to... Uh, Thank you. That's a huge compliment. Back when <laughs> cops too. were good and cops used to fish with their sons. Can you, can you sing the song, the, the theme song to the Andy Griffith show? Nope. Okay. Can't do it. I did try, though. That was a good try. Uh, I'm sorry. What was your question? Um, how, what, what's the transition been like? From oh, I get, see. So, in fact, yeah. uh, Colorado has been a medically legal state for almost a decade. Mm -hmm. So two years ago um, was the first implementation of recreational marijuana sales. Right. Well, you didn't have to have a card from a doctor because you have a malady or an right. illness or you think you have a headache. But if you're 21, you could walk into a dis dispensary and buy product. In fact, the results have all been incredibly positive. I was just at an event with Governor Hickenlooper, the Hickenlooper. governor from Col Colorado, oh my goodness. who enacted this law. Okay. And I got to talk to him about it, and he spoke to a bunch of people, and he was quite um, cautious and, frankly, negative on having Colorado stand up as a state that's known for medical and recreational marijuana when he has this, all these great other parts to the state. But he said it's been a boon and a seamless event for the state. Crime right. is down. Mm -hmm. Um, heavy drug use in terms of barbiturates and painkillers are down. Right. Employment is up. And state tax revenues are up. Um, I did go to Colorado at one point. Absolutely. Put your hands together for that, everybody. Weed is saving Colorado. Uh, that and the movie Dumb and Dumber did a lot for Colorado. Um, I made a mistake. I got stoned in Colorado, and I got stoned on top of the mountain. And, uh, and I failed to remember, you got to go down. And that was a tricky ride. I rolled most of the way. And I'm so tall and so white when I fall. People love it because they think I'm part of the problem which is very, very interesting. Hickenlooper... I can, made, I can see that, by the way. They made $51 million this last year uh, in revenue from marijuana in Colorado, and they made enough money where all of the residents got seven whole dollars uh, from the government, which is pretty amazing. I would assume that they just reinvested that in one of Peyton Manning's many Papa John's restaurants. Um, so where, why, what would be the negative thing that uh, Hickenlooper, when you spoke to him, what were some of the negatives that he saw with the, legalizing, uh, with the legalization of marijuana in Colorado? So first, let me correct you. There was $700 million of legal pot bought in Colorado oh, okay. in 2014. That is not an insignificant number, $700 no. million. There were about $50 million in state tax revenues that the state recognized from sure. those purchases. But going from... Half of that the year before and half of that the year before, this market's growing at literally 100% a year across the country and individually in Colorado. So it's really quite dynamic. Right. 
The only negative that he pointed out, we're getting very serious here when you started off on such a lively note. Just roll so with I'm it. So I'm going to try to go with it. That's good. Yeah, that's what you got to um, do. Yeah. Was the concern that edibles mm-hmm. in the form of infused chocolates or lollipops or drinks or hard sucking candies that are infused with THC. Right. Which, by the way, accounts for more than half of all the purchases in Colorado is not pot. It's these infused products that you can eat or lick or drink. Right, and the tinctures and the liquids that you're using, the vaporizers and, in the, and stuff. In the uh, ski resort areas, Breckenridge and uh, Vail, it's 90% of the purchases. Because people don't want to smoke joints out there. It's a wonderful, beautiful environment. You're active, you're exercising. So they're getting high another way. It's another right. shift, an interesting shift in the way that cannabis is consumed. And I think it's going to be the way most people smoke cannabis going forward. You don't need to light up a joint in the street anymore. Right. You can smoke it with your vape, mm-hmm. or you could just eat a cookie. But in answer to your question, his concern and the state's concern is almost singularly, from what I heard, uh, children thinking that that bar of chocolate is a Hershey's bar and eating the whole thing and the negative repercussions. Right. So, it's funny when Cheech's dog does it and Cheech and Chong and he follows him around and picks up uh, the dog's dookie and tries to smoke that. But when well, your I'm kid a dog does lover, it, so I'm, I don't find that funny. Well, the dog had a good time, to be fair. It seemed like he had a good, sensible bowel. I'm just kidding. So the state is enacting, uh, going through a review of specific packaging requirements right. and uh, information on the packaging that it'll be more than apparent that that's not a Hershey bar. So that was the only concern that the governor raised in a 40-minute discussion about the impact of recreational legal marijuana in Colorado that was negative. And that seems like something that just a, a good old-fashioned yuck sticker uh, could solve. Well, to be honest with you, this is not an easy thing to implement in a state. Right. It's recreational and medically legal with the most dispensaries in the country. Mm-hmm and the most smokers in the country right now, and not have negative repercussions. So I don't think it's a matter of flipping the switch. I think the state prepared itself for this, right? planned for it, and that results in good execution. And I think New York State, which is planning for the apocalypse to happen, mm-hmm. should learn from Colorado that you could let the market regulate pricing, because New York wants to put a commissioner of pot pricing in. A commissioner of pot pricing in? I don't think that's his official title, but oh, okay. he will be regulating the price of pot. And he's guaranteed to look like the Monopoly guy. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. Um, so what, would, so what, the, what do you mean the apocalypse? What is New York, what, what are they so scared about when it comes to legalizing it in this state? A- anarchy, uh, out-of-control drug use, crime in the streets, uh, uh, juvenile delinquency, and it's almost right. like the days of reefer madness. Right. Well, we have real-life examples to learn from. It's called Washington State mm-hmm. and Oregon and Colorado, Washington, D.C. to an extent, where there's been medical uh, legalization for some time. But recreational is what brings the populace in. Right. And in fact, these states are having, on the whole, very good, seamless experiences. You don't need to over-regulate or over-police. Right or overtax like New York is doing. Well, you mentioned over-policing. Do you think it's more difficult for New York because it is a more racially diverse, um, mostly New York City, New York State is as, as uh, rural as Wisconsin, which is where I'm from, but do you think there's something with the, um, with the demogra- uh, demographic makeup of New York City that allows uh, government to be a little bit more hesitant in legalizing marijuana? Because obviously you know, we're going with the old Bill Bratton uh, broken windows and all this stuff. Is that part of the problem with legalizing it in New York? 
I don't think law enforcement, I know this is a uh, controversial thing to say recently, is ever part of the problem. I always think it's part of the solution. Okay. But I'm a huge fan of law enforcement. They're my heroes. I'm raising my family in New York City, and we've been safe and clean for all our time here. So, so would, you, would you as a resident feel hesitant to have it legalized here? And in fact, uh, Bill Bratton and Mayor de Blasio got up on TV four months ago and said, we're changing the laws. Right. And if you have less than eight grams of marijuana, we're not going to arrest you anymore, which has been the, the law for longer than you and I have been alive. Right. We're going to ticket you. We're gonna, you're going to pay a fine. But this is the chief of police whose job it is to prosecute the drug laws and other laws saying, we're changing with a head of the state regulating it. Right. So, uh, you know, law enforcement has been even f- more forward than the state political machine in New York State. I think the issue is it's a governor that doesn't want it to happen, that didn't want it to happen, and that begrudgingly went along with it because at the end of the day, it's the will of the people. Yeah, and of course, Andrew Cuomo, let's not forget, he is, uh, I don't know if he's married, uh, but of course, he's Sandra Lee, and she's got a show, a show on the Food Network, and what do you do when you're stoned? You want to eat food. It's a government vicious circle. Cuomo is just trying to get his wife some money, so let's think about that. That's very possible. So you can make a strong fiscal <laughs> argument. So you is make that the- physical or fiscal? Fiscal and physical. You can make a whole bunch of different kinds of arguments. But let's so say, many places to take this. Democrats and Republicans, for the most part, uh, Democrats in theory have been the ones who have been seen on uh, soft on drugs. And uh, even though under the Clinton administration, like we were talking about before, only 800 and some thousand people were in prison when Clinton, Bill Clinton began uh, in 1992. And by the time he was out, it was 1.3 million. They struck, uh, they, they, um, they made but the those drug laws even didn't more strict. And they did not have sexual relations with that woman. Well, I mean, it depends if a cigar has feelings or not. That's what we need to be talking about. <laughs> did the cigar feel pain? Um, and I don't think anyone wants to be in Monica, and I would assume that little cigar wasn't too thrilled to be there either. Um, they like to be, uh, you know, whatever. A little bit wetter than that. But um, now we have. White, a sh- whiter or whiter? What, what is your reference there? Wetter? Wetter. Wetter. Yeah, I'm a, I thought I would, you were going around the issue, no, but you're no, going no. right to the issue. No, the joke was about how Monica's vagina wasn't wet. Uh, see, I didn't because pick up she the wasn't, nuances. She wasn't sexually ah. interested in Mr. Bill Clinton. Yeah. Clear as day. When women are aroused, Scott, there's something that happens. What's that? When, when, aroused women. Right? Yes, when they're aroused. Hold on, I just got to yeah, write it to down. myself. What is that? Okay. When they like the way you act... And the way that you physically look, their body changes into ah. more in a, of an accepting way ah. of your physical. In a birthing way? or Yeah. What <laughs> in a birthing way. Democrats now, Hillary, you know, she can't want to run away from, from Bill's record. She wants to attach herself to it uh, whenever it's convenient and run away when it, uh, whenever it's not. So she's running on the platform against the mass incarceration rates in the United States, when in reality she's... Sorry, are there people that are for mass incarcerations? Well, Chris Christie, for example, who just recently tanked his political campaign because he came out as a very strong uh, uh, proponent to keeping people in prison for small weed crimes because there's nobody better that we should take health advice than someone morbidly obese who's literally about to eat himself out of mobility, um, which is pretty phenomenal. There is no reason for him to die at 
63, and he will, other than the fact that he can't get his sugars under control. He's really the part of the problem, and we'll do another episode on uh, the sugar industry and how the government's complicit in the obesity epidemic of our child, of our children. Uh, so Chris Christie, for example, who is now in the 30% approval ratings in New Jersey because, I mean, the state's been downgraded. They could use some legalized uh, weed uh, for some revenue in New Jersey, for sure. Jeb isn't a, uh, a big proponent. The people who That's are... not true, by the way. Rand, okay, correct me on that then. Rand Paul is, and, uh, and Ted Cruz have both come out in favor of it. What's uh, Jeb Bush's policy then? From what I know and understand, the Republican Party as a whole is um, discussing pro-legalization as a talking point right. in the 2016 elections, uh, if for no other reason than to reach the younger vote, which they, have, they are almost by policy blocked from. Right. So they're trying to adopt a more progressive position, and I think you'll see Jeb come out in favor of it. Now, he's, yeah. uh, is he going to change Schedule 1? I don't know. Schedule but, 1, what's that? Well, pot is, uh, cannabis is scheduled, um, according to the Department of Justice, as a Schedule 1 drug. Oh, it's going to be late to that. You've got to put it in Schedule 3, Schedule 4. Um, for that, too, but that's a federal uh, uh, step. That's not a step that the states can take. That's a change to the, to the federal laws. Okay. Until that changes, you won't have national rollout of medical or recreational legal cannabis. What do you think, uh, under a Democratic administration or a Republican, which one is more likely to see legalized marijuana across the country? Uh, it's, it's a Democratic position. No you question. think so? Oh, sure. Do you think Rand Paul or Ted Cruz can get out of a, uh, a Republican primary with the pro-weed stance? No. Not at all? No. What about the elderly people who are currently using, um, you know, marijuana for their, I don't even know, what, what's wrong with old people? Varicose veins and like their glaucoma and they're like, oh, Matlock's not on. And so I don't know what, maybe it helps them watch the chew or something more. Um, so elderly people are also using a lot of marijuana right now. Couldn't you court them as a Republican? I mean, they're very core well, of the Republican fact, base. you are correct. The fastest growing Democratic, uh, Democratic, demographic of uh, cannabis smokers is 50 and up. Right. And they know how to do it. I mean, they lived with jam bands and some good well, music. Well, in fact, that's what it is. That's yeah. a large part of this movement is people my age who smoked it when they were in college. Last time I smoked. Mm -hmm. Did you and, inhale? Uh, <laughs> um, and now they're seeing that it's a mainstream topic, right. has mainstream approval, has mainstream support in the country, and are now coming back and re-partying. Re is this the first time in your life that you can remember where a pro-weed stance was actually a viable option for a candidate running for president? I never had any involvement with the politics of weed. And if it wasn't uh, for a couple of companies asking us to get involved, public pot companies, right. to help them grow... No Literally. Lots yeah. of puns in this. You, you'd be amazed you know at what, the number don't... of giggles there are in my daily life over right. being in this business. Oh, I, I can't even imagine, Scott, the amount of humor that comes from your office. You, you are booming. <laughs> that is really unimaginable when you hear and look at right. me. Yeah, yeah, you, know, you're, you, you boom a sort of comedic energy. It's really phenomenal. Thank you. Thank you yeah, I would much. love to work. If you ever need a, a, an intern, man, I could just go for a good, a good chuckle. A good right. Yeah, I'll do some paperwork for you. The whole thing is going to be wonderful. I can't wait. I'm super excited. I'm going to be there late every day. Um, very good. 
pharmaceutical companies are one of the major reasons that we have uh, the addiction to heroin, for example, in the country. In Indiana right now, 140 people got AIDS, um, not because they were doing the old wild thing at Rawhide Bar in 1973 in uh, you know, Soho. It's because they've been, uh, they got addicted to OxyContin, uh, then they changed the, uh, the uh, chemicals in that drug. And then people had to go to heroin because uh, Oxy was no longer giving them the thing, uh, giving them, you know, the high. Mike, uh, very conservative Republican Mike Pence uh, approved of a needle program um, to, uh, you know, try to, try to curb the problem with AIDS. Do you think the big pharmaceutical companies want the legalization of, uh, of weed or is it going to cut into their profits? I will first say that, just reacting politically to your statement that the preponderance of some drug use is based on the pharmaceutical companies, I think that's bullshit. You do. Pharmaceutical companies provide drugs that are bought by the populace. The populace wasn't buying that, they wouldn't make it. Yeah, but no one in the populace, everyone was like, I have a shaken leg, I better take a drug. They watch a commercial and they're like, oh my God, a commercial for shaken leg syndrome, they're like, I never even thought about it. You could say the same is true for illnesses that used to kill children 100 years ago. Somebody came up with the cure and people said, yeah, I want that. Oh my God, yeah, can we get rid of that person who came up with the cure to kill children? (laughs) Oh, I've had enough of these goddamn kids. I I hate them. Um, Well, you know, it's an interesting question. In fact... Um, I think that the pharmaceutical industry would love to be in the medical side of cannabis, which is called CBD, okay. the cannabis oils, which are the part of the plant that's not psychotic inducing. doesn't get you high, but it can really help with epilepsy. So it's like can, gluten-free. It's like gluten-free muffins. Well, it's the fact that there's been, the, really the major support for pot forever has not only been it's the people's will, nobody's killing anybody, but in fact there are real, I wouldn't say proven, and I'll tell you why in a second, but um, anecdotally true examples of cannabis helping sick people, and a lot of sick children. There are childhood diseases of uh, epilepsy and glaucoma that cannabis has a proven track record of, not curing, right. but improving the, uh, the wellness, the quality of life for these kids. So you know there's some 11 year old just faking epilepsy. Just to get that weed. He's just shaking on the floor, smiling the entire time inside. No, he's going to get a joint. The fact of the matter is that pharmaceutical companies rely on research for drug development. Right. And unfortunately, because cannabis has been illegal in the States forever, the States are decades behind countries like Israel, obviously in Holland, that have been doing university grant funding to develop and prove the efficacy of CBD, the non-psychotic part of marijuana, mm-hmm. as a pharmaceutical solution to real illnesses. So I think at the first opportunity, which is when Schedule One for this drug changes, when it's not classified as a dangerous drug like Oxycontin or cocaine, right. pharmaceutical companies are coming in and they're going to buy the biotech companies, hopefully the ones we're engaged with, that are starting to do the research and development to come out with specific strains of cannabis that are optimal for glaucoma, optimal right. for epilepsy, optimal for diabetes, because that is in the works, but all the work is being done in the private sector because the universities couldn't get grant funding because right. it's been illegal in this country. Right. I mean, yeah, what was it? I think it was the, the Poison Act. That's what it was, the Poison Act in 1907. It was California that, that made it illegal, uh, illegal for the first time, which is... In, if there's ever a state to be stoned in, it's California. Absolutely. It's like Colorado, it, it's freezing cold and miserable. Being stoned there isn't ideal, but being stoned in California is the best idea. Do you the know the idea. state that has the most number, God bless you, 
The most number of sunny days in the country. Is it Seattle? <laughs> I'm sorry. Sunny days. Oh, sunny days. Seattle. <laughs> okay. What Would you like state? to try again? Uh, well, I'm just going to say Seattle again. Um, what state has the most sunny days, Scott? If you would believe it, it's Seattle. <sighs> oh, my God. Before the show started, Scott said, oh, why do you have two beers, Ben? Are you worried about talking to me? And I'm just like, I'm not worried about it. I'm just, it's just going to get really boring. Um, no, I'm just kidding, obviously. Um, Chris Christie no, it's is... actually Colorado has the most... I, I would have chosen Florida or Arizona or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Colorado is the most sunny days in the, in the country. Who but would then have, they got all that have... snow. Incredible paradox. There. What's going to be better? It's a 75 billion... I actually don't know how that works. I don't know. They got all that snow and you're telling me it's sunny. I don't add up to Mr. me. Mr. G is, might be on Channel 4 right now. I think he's the guy who... Mr. G is one of the best weathermen of all time, for those that don't get the reference. Google Mr. G and just, you know, get the report. It's, even if it's raining, you're happy to hear about it. Mr. G's gold. $75 billion. That's what the prison uh, system makes every year. That's what the economy is for the prison uh, system. Is, there, is it possible, obviously these people are going to want to get their hands on money. Uh, when weed is legalized, less people are going to be going and getting incarcerated and things like that. So do you think it's going to take that, is it going to take people who are investing uh, in prisons to go over and see that weed can compete and give them um, the return that, uh, that prisons are giving them? I don't think the uh, trigger point on uh, incarceration and marijuana is in the owners of the prisons. I think it's at the DEA okay. and the U.S. government. But your point is an important one because um, there's a member of my board, I'm not going to name her name, but she's a, uh, a black woman, very and I say that for a reason, a very successful woman, and a member, and a was a leading figure, as a matter of fact, the highest ranking female member of this law enforcement agency. Well, successful and high ranking female, you didn't even have to say black, I just assumed. But it's important because I asked her why is she committing herself to the cannabis space? She is a law enforcement person. She's married to a law enforcement agent. Right. And she said as a black woman because of the um, criminal uh, level of incarceration for young black males because they bought a dime bag or they sold right. a joint and now they're in jail. And that's the wrong way to treat that. You can rehabilitate. There's health care. There's social programs. But incarceration should not be at the top of the list. Right, right. So there's a woman who I got inspiration from because as a white male, I frankly wasn't thinking about that. But um, she's taken a great risk in um, how to get approval of many people to enter this space, and she's doing it for the cause. Yeah. And so with, uh, with what you do with Viridian, um, or, or what would you... What, what sort of policies would you propose, um, you know, if you were talking to a politician like, uh, what was it, Hink, Hinkenlocker? Hinkenlooper. Hinkenlooper? Governor of Colorado, man. I mean, that's the yeah. guy you want to speak to. Right. So I was uh, honored to be able to, to meet him. But what would you, as a, if you're going, you have to speak in front of, uh, you know, Congress. You're making $400 million. You made $400 million a year, right? Me? Yeah. 398 <sighs> I keep on messing that up. Ben, you're blowing this whole thing. Okay. 
You made $400 million. God damn it. Okay. Um, so $398 million. You're ta- you're, let's say you're just talking to Congress. What are you going to tell them? By the way, Why if I made $398 million, no, I know as you're much co- as I love Elise and Andrew Frank, would I be at the Sweaty Nixon on Monday? Of course you would be. <laughs> yeah. We'd have a much larger crowd and people would have come because of your name recognition. Um, but uh, what would you propose? What would you tell them? Why, why legalize? I mean, because obviously... There's only one answer. There's only one answer. I'll give you a guess at that answer. Because it's your Seattle. answer. Seattle. <laughs> Is the answer Seattle? Uh, okay. We should have the, uh, what do you call that, with the three X's? I forget what it is. Uh, family Feud. Thank you. Yeah, love a good Family oh. Feud. Remember Dawkins? Richard, Richard Dawkins. Dawson. Uh, Richard Dawson. Richard Dawson. Dawkins. Daw- I knew him well. I go to Dawson. I'm, you know, I you was were... a, uh, yeah, Richard Dawson was one of the greatest uh, Family Feud hosts of all time. The original. And he was the original. And nobody can match you up to the original. Well, I'll tell you, if he did what he did uh, on a talk show today, very similar, if Bill Clinton ran for president today, he would be, a, uh, he would be considered Bill Cosby, uh, an accused rapist, and he never would have won. If Dawson did what he did to people on a television screen right now, he would be incarcerated for molestation. I mean, he would make out with these husbands' wives right in front of them. And he was drunk. But I loved that show. I mean, I'll tell you, he was great. Me too. But getting back to the question I turned around and asked you, you have one strike. What would I say to any politician as to why they should support the legalization of cannabis? Well, I would as a... There's uh, only one answer, and it, you, you support this I have answer. Two stri- I actually have two answers. Um, I would say one answer would be uh, you know, the unbelievable um, amount of money that we as taxpayers pay. We average about $70,000 per year per inmate in an average U.S. prison system. Again, 800000 So are the benefits there. of spending less money on, it, on, on prison. People. And okay. then, yeah, so that would be another one. And then obviously, uh, you know, your revenue stream that can come with, with highly taxing I'm, I'm going to say um, you're, being, you're coming into my world of money in Wall Street. That's not the answer at all. Okay. And that's not the answer you believe. Am I giving you three strikes right now? I don't know. Can I say Seattle again? No. Okay. No, I'm done. You ready? I had all three. Yeah. It's the will of the people. Yeah, but is it? You know, What do you mean is it? States vote on laws, right? Right. More than half of the country is voted for legalizing marijuana. More than 75% of the country polls in favor of legalizing marijuana. Right. At this point in a year, 65% of the country will have legalized marijuana at the state level. You think in a year, you think 60% of the country I do. And in fact, the Supreme Court last uh, August, the Supreme Court of the U.S., which has been put into place by a Republican administration. And again, very elderly. You know Ruth Bader desperately needs that sweet weed for her glaucoma. (laughs) Voted to keep the U.S. government out of the hands of the states and the dispensaries and the grows that are working according to state regulations that have been voted in by the populace of that state. Mm -hmm. There was a Supreme Court ruling that the U.S. government cannot go to medical marijuana dispensaries and say, I'm watching you, which they've been doing. It's a state law. The state voted for it. It's the law. Is there any... So uh, it's the people's will. And that's what this movement is all about. Is there a concern that... um, I thought you would revel in that as the... Well, my generation Liberal, is a little bit more. Younger. I'm a libertarian. My my generation is a little bit more jaded when it comes to the idea that your vote matters. Um, Are you serious? 
Yeah, it is. It is. I'm, I'm a big fan. My father's an immigrant from Germany, and I always tell a little joke about his father somehow survived the Holocaust. It helped that he was in charge. Okay. Um, kind of a kind of a funny little bit there that I like to tell on stage during my stand-up comedy routines. Yes. Um, but don't give me... Okay, well... Um, but, uh, yeah, the idea that, uh, that your individual vote uh, matters to a lot of people... I mean, well, I can again, tell you, in the, the, in the, of, uh, in the issue of cannabis, yeah. it's factually true. The right. people voted the law into law, despite the fact that a lot of very wealthy, primarily Republicans, have won putting up money to vote against it in Florida, for example. It got voted down. Right. D.C. had a hard time passing it. There's a lot of money behind anti-legalization. Right. But the will of the people have been speaking in each of these states... And it is down to the individual vote. Yeah. And people like the Koch brothers, to their credit, are actually trying to get on board with the legalization process and stuff like that. Is there a chance of the next administration is uh, more um, conservative when it comes to their weed policy? Is there a chance that they go in and they, and they uh, you know, fo- force Colorado to change their policies? Is, is, it, is it possible that the federal government's going to go in uh, to these individual states? Well, as... as um I just described, the Supreme Court came down with a ruling that the federal government cannot intervene in states' rights. So for them to turn around a law that was affected by the states, I think would lead to anarchy and the overthrow of the U.S. government. So, no, I do think what could happen is what's happening in New York, where the regulations that are put in place under, regu- under legalization are uh, a death knell to the industry in this state. That could happen. There are right. obstacles you could put up that even if a state votes it in, the practical rollout of the industry yeah. is not going to happen. But is the U.S. government going to turn around states' laws? No, it's, it's, it's not constitutional. Right. What other – what – businesses surrounding weed do you think will get propped up um, because of the legalization I think Pabst Blue Ribbon is one of the major beneficiaries. Really? Absolutely. I can only drink this thing if I'm stoned. Well, you are. Of course. (laughs) Of course. That's just a fait accompli. Yeah, if I ever don't have weed, I just smell my hair for a little while and it works. I love or it. you can breathe in and out in a bag and suffer from some uh, oxygen deprivation. Well, let's not Gets encourage. You anyway. That's what children do right now, and they're dying, Scott. So maybe we shouldn't encourage well, that. Well, I think it's the brown paper bag industry's fault. I would agree with that. Thank brown you. paper bags have never done anything good for anybody. I hate hand puppets. And... <laughs> And I hate when people, oh, in craft class, I always had to use the brown paper bag. And I said, you know what? I got something better, and I farted in it. And I popped it right in the teacher's wow. face. That's what I did when I got a brown paper bag. No, I'm just, ju- ju- just Josh in there. Never took a toot in my life, and uh, I don't eat, um, which is kind of exciting. Uh, Gold Rush, that's another kind of a fun question. Do you consider yourself a, uh, a pioneer, the old school San Francisco Gold Rush? Do you consider, is, is this the best time to get in uh, to the weed business? You're on the bottom, only one state, maybe two states, maybe three at this point, have legalized it, but very, very few. Is this the best time to... 23, 23? medically, right. and another five recreationally. Okay. That's 28. There's okay, 50 so five states. recreationally, yeah. There's 50 states, 28. There's 50 states? There's a calculator on there if you want to see what percentage What of... state is Seattle? <laughs> That's the state of Seattle. Mm-hmm. God, I or love Seattle the Buccaneers. State, however you want to Yeah, big fan of their football team there. That's great. Okay, so we have 28 states, five that have, uh, you know, made it, uh, you can just smoke it whenever. Uh, the other 23 you have to make up an ailment for. Um, 
where so uh, do I consider is, myself a pioneer? Yeah, do, is absolutely this, is this not. Is the, no, absolutely not. This not? has been well. I didn't. You know, ultimately, the only reason I'm in business is because the people that have fought for legalization for decades. So I'm not a pioneer. I think I'm a, uh, an opportunistic person in recognizing that what I do for a living can have value to cannabis companies, and in fact, I can make money from it. Right. So, but is that pioneering? No, I think it's just being entrepreneurial. Right. Are you a uh, are you a family fellow? I am. And what did your wife think when you told her that you were going to get into the weed business? She smoked a joint. Oh, that's great. That's exciting. And what did your kids think? No, in fact, um, my wife is completely fascinated by all of it. And she's a San Francisco girl who doesn't party anymore, but did. Right. And she is, she's just fascinated every day. She has to hear everything that, that happened because it's really a fascinating industry. What's one of the most fascinating things about the industry? Oh, uh, what's not fascinating about it? You have um, a crop that's going to become the cash crop of the world overtaking lettuce and strawberries and vegetables. Right. That's, that's pretty interesting. You have pricing that's crashed by 60% because it's supply and demand. Right. You have Warren Buffett going into the real estate business to build big warehouses to become the Walmart of grows. Right. You have the founder of PayPal, Peter Thiel, and a seed investor in Facebook, Peter Thiel, that's just invested in the largest private equity firm in pot. So all of these anecdotal happenings mm -hmm. are flowing around this drug that has been illegal and disparaged and tainted. And now all of a sudden, Sanjay Gupta, who used to be very vehemently anti-weed, Sanjay is Gupta, his, yeah, from CNN, is on his third special about the positive effects of pot. Right. And the New York Times has been running it for three years. I just find it so fascinating about to watch the evolution of the acceptance of it. Do you it's think really what I find is interesting. Are, are, do you find, um, is there any hesitation? Do you want another beer after that whole soliloquy? Or you no, 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 no. I can't. No, after yours? Yeah. No. All right. Definitely not. I'm all Go sober. Over. Yeah. No, I feel grown. I mean, maybe. I shocked you out of your stupor, maybe some fun. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm not in a stupor. I'm on top of my game. Uh, always am. That's the Ben Kissel way. Um, you'd be surprised how smart I am. Uh, I'm not surprised at all. Uh, do, what is state? There, do, what what is your favorite state? Seattle. Wisconsin. You were saying? Wisconsin is oh, my favorite state, but the sunniest one I heard was Seattle. Um, uh, is there any fear that you've felt among the small business owners? Uh, again, uh, from Wisconsin, a lot of the small uh, a lot of the small farmers completely shut down because of large uh, large factory farms that came in and put them out of business. Is there a fear of the smaller um, uh, dispensaries and things like that? That when when um, the wealthy of the world, when the Koch uh, brothers decide to, and the Buffets decide to get into the weed game, that they're going to be put out of business or just seen as smaller pawns in the game? I think you're playing too much of the them and the us, the wealthy and the not. I don't think that's in play in this industry right now at all. In fact, well, but it, 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 the whole is industry, there potential for it to be in play? I suppose so, but the um, evolution and dynamic in this industry right now is all about small business owners. Right. It's all about guys that have been growing weed in their backyard in Mill Valley, and now they own three dispensaries and maybe doing... 14 million a year in revenues. It's all about this small guy right now. Right. And that'll be the case as long as it's still federally illegal. Once it's not, you're going to get the bigger companies to rush in. I don't think they're the enemy, but certainly the companies that can position them, the small companies, 
because every company in this industry is small right now. There is no giant. There's no Miller beer that happened after Prohibition. It doesn't right. exist yet. All, those companies that can position themselves best, have the best service, product, take care of their client, run their business the best way, will be the ones that are acquired and bought by the pharmaceutical company, the liquor company, the tobacco company, the industrial company, when they want to come in. Can you equate it to the tech boom from the 90s when <clears throat> everyone was just trying to, you know, uh, get there to sell them, uh, to, to sell their brand to a larger one? Not yet, because it's not a free market as technology is because it's a federally illegal drug. Right. So it's not a free market yet. I'll equate it to the tech boom in, in that there's really interesting technology coming into this sector, really cool biotech technology, agricultural technology. Um, What's some of that technology, like biotech and stuff like that? I'm trying to answer your first question before now you're throwing me out to another I'll get you. We'll, we'll go back you'll to it. circle back? I got, yeah, I always got circle back. I've been doing this for years. I always circle back. Seattle. Can you draw me a Venn diagram so I oh can see my, my way back? I got it up in my head, Scott. Just right. answer the second question first, Sorry, and we'll get to the first second, question second. What was the second question that followed nah, the first? the whole thing's blown. <laughs> no, the question was, uh, what are some of the biotech companies that are going to be benefiting from legalized weed? Well... The um, somewhat proven medical benefits of the non-psychotic part of pot eventually will become a pill mm. that has a specific strain or a formulation of strain that you take because you've had eight weeks of radiation therapy for your cancer right. and you can't eat, so it'll restore your appetite, or you have epilepsy, or you have glaucoma, um, or diabetes. Pot is showing some very good indications for diabetes. Ultimately, that's going to have to be created in a pharmaceutical-like standard, integrity, so that every pill is the same wherever you buy it. It works the same, the same level of, of consistency and integrity. So the pharmaceutical-like approach to creating strains, I mean, literally growing the pot plant that's best for glaucoma is happening right now. Right. And that's really kind of, that's really exciting. Okay. At least it, it is to me. And let's go back to the first question. Yes, second. what was the first question? Uh, the second tech boom to compared the, to the tech boom of the 90s. Right, so the an analogy is really interesting technology coming in, a lot of new companies being formed, and a lot of new companies going public. Right. So the whole capital markets explosion that has happened in this space. Five years ago, there were maybe a dozen public cannabis companies. I'm going to ask you who believes that Seattle is the best state in the country. No, Wisconsin's the best state. Seattle is the sunniest. California has legalized weed in Colorado. Weed in Colorado is a well, prison state. I was state. referring to the fact that Seattle's not a state, but in any event. Seattle's not a state? <laughs> Don't spread lies on my show. Of course Seattle's a state. They, people live there. Well, of course, and I'm just going to let you go with that. <laughs> I'm sorry, what was the first question after the second question? The tech boom. Tech boom. Aren't so you supposed to be smarter than me? <laughs> I'm not even going to go there because I, I can't even decide which angle to approach there. <laughs> it's so fertile. So new technology, new companies being formed, a lot of companies going public. I was asking you a question. Right. There were about a dozen public pot companies five years ago. Just a guess. How many do you think there are today? Um, I, a reasonable say, guess. Uh, a year ago, there was 12? No, five years ago. Five years. Well, I would say at least 50, 60 then. About 350. Okay. Pretty incredible. Right. So the capital markets, Wall Street, has embraced this opportunity. 
So that's all analogous with the tech trends of the internet in the late 90s and social media. What's different is the quality of management of these companies that's starting and managing these companies. In the tech boom, you have a lot of geeks right. who are maybe definitionally kind of smart. Um, maybe some have business instincts. In the cannabis space, you got guys that know how to grow and smoke and maybe infuse it into a chocolate. The business acumen, I'm being serious about this, I think it's the biggest danger to the industry. Right. The lack of professional executives that are managing these companies, that are growing these companies, that are taking these companies public, has two problems. I don't trust these people with my investors' money in, in a, in, to a large degree. And when you're a public company, having to abide by the laws of the SEC and report your quarterly earnings right. and report and you're not following the rules and you're getting suspended, shut down, or fined, the integrity, the quality of the executives in this space is lacking. And that's the biggest difference between the tech boom of the last few decades right. and cannabis. Otherwise, there's a lot of analogies. Right, right, right. I mean, they are, for all intents and purposes, farmers. They're right? farmers and, and they're, now they're, they're and thrown they're into stoners. A, yeah. And now they're making a lot of money from it. That doesn't make you successful at taking investors' money and investing it properly. Right, right. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Where do you think, do you think there are any, have you heard of any small, um, you know, marijuana distributors and stuff like that? Are, are there any part of the um, weed industry that are upset with the legalization? You know, I mean, we have the, and I want to talk lastly because we have to end this whole thing. Oh, come um, on now. I know, it's, so, it's too fun. Um, I love it, by the way. I love you very much, Scott. Thank you. I love um, you, too. But, what, uh, what was the first name? What's that? What was the first name? Seattle? <laughs> um, let me just check my... I think it's Scott Griper, if I'm right. Uh, no, I'm here with Mel Riper. <laughs> um, no, it's Scott. Yes. Um, it, so let's do... The, closing question. Closing question. Well, let's do two more. Um, Anyone unhappy? Is this the second question or the first question that came before the this second? This is the first question okay. of a series of three. Just one. Right. So let's ask the second one third, the first one second, and let's ask the third one first. Um, is there anybody upset with the legalization of weed, number one? Uh, number two, let's just get them out of the way. How does this affect uh, the U.S. government in relations to Mexico, uh, even Canada, the war on drugs, all these things that have been you know, uh, ingrained in the U.S. narrative for years? Nancy Reagan was a tyrant. Nobody says it, but I'm going to say it right now. Nancy's little key issue was terrible. She was a sheep, a uh, wolf in uh, elderly woman's clothing, and uh, she was a dreadful woman. How does this affect our relations with, with Mexico? Has it affect the drug situation? With the cartels, and uh, or is 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 there any argument to be made that making keep continuing to make weed illegal is somehow I don't know beneficial to somebody? Was there a question about Nancy Reagan's dress? No, no, you don't talk. About I'm that. sorry. What was the question? Uh, what? How does this change our relationship with Mexico <laughs> so when it comes to the war on the drugs? The first question cartels? was: Is there anybody upset that's in the industry? I would have to say absolutely not. This has been a ridiculous boon, and I say ridiculous because it, it's one of those things that seems to happen overnight even though it's had underpinnings for decades. Right. But there was $2.7 billion of legal pot sold last year in the legal states. Before that, it was $1.3 billion. The year before that, $500 million. The year before that, $200 million. Ain't nobody upset about the fact that this industry is just freaking booming. Right. Legally, safely, compliantly, no, the anarchy is not breaking out in these states. 
So to me, that's the good news and nobody's upset. Okay. Uh, as far as our relationship with Mexico, I, I can't comment on that, but clearly there are, out of the industry, if you will, out of the mainstream industry, there are two constituents that are going to lose. One is the DEA, because mm. they're going to lose budget and staffing. And the second is the black market dealers, whether that's a Mexican cartel or, or it's a guy on the corner. So both things that should be losing. Absolutely. That's, that's great. And, and you, I'm sorry, this is a series of three. Uh, the- no, no. We're going to get rid of the third one. Um, you now, the third one will be uh, a memoriam to the uh, president and owner of Marachino Cherries, who recently blew his brains out because the cops found 50 plants in his backyard. Why would you and, kill yourself over that? I well, don't he didn't know that the times were changing. So this whole show has been dedicated to the president of Marachino Cherries. And who doesn't love a good Marachino cherry? Um, all right, everybody. Thank Does this you. tie into the Monica Lewinsky thing? I'm seeing a holistic yeah. perspective here. Well, I don't know what her and Bill did with cherries, and we're not going to go there right now. That's a whole different kind of program. A saucy one and a sweet one for sure. Speaking of saucy and sweet, thank you so much for being here, Scott. <laughs> uh, you are the greatest. And uh, this has been this month's Sweaty Nixon, and we'll talk to you all soon. Let's go down and have some beers. All right, thanks so much for listening, everyone. Make sure you find Marcus Parks on Twitter at Marcus Parks. I'm at Ben Kissel. And as always, we'll talk to you soon. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.